And now the show that's all about real estate and a little bit about everything else. Hosted by two guys that are too embarrassed to admit in public how long they've been investing in real estate. It is the Investor Guys podcast with host Bill Barnett and Kevin Mills. Welcome to a Tuesday edition. This is actually part three in our last part on a show that really has two different titles. We've only been using one, obviously, because I don't want to confuse you too much when you're going through the podcast. Uh, it is what to look for when you're buying real estate investment properties. And Bill found a list, 14 points or something like that, uh, to look at when you're looking for a investment real estate property. Um, out of this list of 14 points, um, Bill agreed with 13 of them being wrong and one of them being correct. Uh, so far, each one of the things that he's read off in the first two shows, I've agreed with him. Uh, I think we're probably going to be in lockstep like we usually are for the, for the last few of these points. So the other half of that title is don't always believe what you read. Don't always believe the advice that you get, okay? Go out and seek different opinions. Go out and seek advice from different people. A wise person does not listen to one person's advice and go off and do something else. There used to be an old commercial for the old ones of us. Do you remember, this would have been when you were in the industry. Uh, everybody would say, my broker is E.F. Hutton. And E.F. Hutton yeah. says, and the whole room would get quiet because they'd want to hear what E.F. Hutton said. That might be great. E.F. Hutton may be a, a great advisor, but I would want to know what E.F. Hutton said, and then I would want to take it to somebody else and see what they said. And if it wasn't exactly the same thing, if there was a little bit different, I want to take it to a third person. And I want to see what they said. If you look at something from just one side, you can look at a prime example. You can look at a car from the passenger side and look beautiful, and you walk around to the front and it looks great. And you walk around to the other side and you can see that it was in a collision. You wouldn't have seen it unless you walked around the vehicle. If you just looked at one side, you would say, that's a great car. I'm going to buy it. Here's my money. Do your due diligence, inspect whatever it is you're getting into, and don't just take somebody's word for it. Uh, know for yourself. So I'm going to let you jump in on these points before we burn up too much I'm going to throw on. something in connected with the car thing. I had a, a client call me last week and said, hey, I want to book some time for you to look at a property with me. And I was like, okay, great. And he goes, can you do it tonight? And I went, look at a property tonight? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, no, I can't. He goes, well, why not? I'm like, because I'm never going to look at a property at night. He goes, no, it's a good neighborhood. I'm like, no, 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 you're missing the point. You don't ever want to look at a house. You don't ever want to look at a car at night. You want to see it during the daylight where you can more easily identify uh, issues there may be. So don't, my opinion, don't ever look at a house at night. All right. So back to our list. Uh, this is point number 11. The seller is pushy about the sale. If you encounter a seller who seems fearful that you won't make an offer that's good enough or that you'll back out of sale, it's an indication that you're dealing with a serious problem. It goes double for anyone who is secretive about parts of the property and covering up walls with heavy curtains and refusing you access to particular areas. There might be damage from fire or water that they're trying to hide. The best thing you can do is to examine the property thoroughly is to hire an inspector 
they can help you negotiate the price down based on what you find out from the inspection results. Okay, I, I agree with, if you're not knowledgeable about property, um, I don't hire too many uh, inspectors on local property. I hire them all the time on property where it's out of town because an inspector is a whole lot cheaper than me hopping on an airplane to go look at a property. So do that uh, a lot, easy, very common. Locally, I look at property myself and I'm confident in what I'm seeing. Why? Because when you've made 10,000 bids through 30 years of buying property, then you got a pretty good idea of what's going on. Now, you can't do that nationwide because every little market's a little bit different and, and houses with basements are different than houses without and older houses that have oil burning furnaces are different. And, and so all of anything out of the norm, out of my local geographic area, I use an inspector for otherwise I'm looking at it myself. But this, uh, when I get a hold of a seller that's pushy, uh, that, that doesn't bother me, it doesn't scare me, it doesn't back me off of a property at all. Because I'm only going to offer what I'm going to offer, no matter if this is the pushiest seller in the world or somebody who is the most laid back seller in the world. doesn't matter. It's not going to change my offer $1 either way, whichever type person they are. So uh, I'm not worried about that and, and not uh, concerned about that. My, right, my so take on next. that is, my take on that, first off, the writer negated what they said by saying, don't make an offer on a property for, has walls you can't see or sections of the property that you can't see, whatever it was. And then turns around and says, hire a home inspector. A home inspector is going to go through all of that. When the home inspector comes, they have access to everything. Just like you should. Once you make an offer on the property, you have access to see absolutely everything. So the writers negated what they said by saying, you know, don't ever buy anything you can't see. Have a, have a property inspector come in and do it. Because these property inspectors, they're going to see everything anyway. What Bill was saying as far as property inspectors go, I will typically do the inspection myself. If I see something wrong or, or a reason that I don't want to do the property, I walk away from it. It's done. I, I recall my deal. If everything looks great, I will pay the extra three or four hundred dollars to have a property inspector come out because then I have that inspection report that I can use for financing. And that makes it easier for me for financing. And a lot of the people who are doing the financing are happy to have that inspection report because it's not just me saying, I think it's a great deal. I think it's this. I think it's that. Uh, they may respect what I have to say. They may respect my opinion. But now they have exactly what I was saying. They have two opinions. They don't have just me saying it. They've got somebody else saying it as well. So I will I will spend the extra money because it, it's three, 400 bucks. And if it makes it easier and it gives me better points on, on my loan, I'm happy to do that. Um, right. Everybody. And I know Bill has done home inspections, even on properties that he has, because a lot of times lenders are going to require it. Um, they want that home inspection, no matter what. Um, a lot of times people, if they can get away with it and they're 1000% confident and they've got somebody that they work with over and over. And a lot of Bill's money people are his personal friends and they respect his opinion. They don't have to see that double opinion. Uh, they know because they've dealt with Bill enough times that they don't have to worry about that. Uh, me, a lot of the people I deal with, they're, they're corporate. So they want as many reports. They want as many things that check each one of those boxes that they're looking for as possible. What's our next, actually, you know what? What's our next point set us up for that? And then we'll take a break. Okay, so the next point is amateur workmanship. Amateur workmanship, and we'll be back in just a minute. 
And we are back. And uh, just before we left, Bill set us up for his last point. And uh, go ahead and go. The, the next point, amateur workmanship. Uh, another huge red flag to avoid is amateur workmanship. If an unlicensed contractor was working on the property and didn't know what they were doing, the outcome might be harmful or unstable. Additionally, if they worked on electrical or plumbing, it can be result in insurance and safety issues. Keep in mind that bad plumbing and electrical work may result in issues like fires, pipe bursting, causing major damage to the property. If you notice amateur workmanship in your preferred investment property, you better proceed uh, with your other options to save you time and money. Well, look, well, let's get real here. You're not going to notice amateur workmanship um, unless you're a pro. And so if you're getting the home inspected, an inspector is going to pick up on that stuff immediately. But again, I'm not going to worry about, I'm not buying this property because I think somebody did shoddy electrical work. I, if I like the property, I'm going to move ahead and I'm going to discount my offer based on the fact that I need to come in and have the electrical redone or I need to have the plumbing redone or the foundation work or the roof or whatever it needs to be done. Now, again, I'm not going to back off of the property because of that. I'm going to go in and adjust pricing accordingly. If you remember and understand, and guys like Kevin and myself have been doing this you know, since you know we were knee high to a grasshopper, it seems like, when you've been doing it for a long time and been doing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of properties, uh, then you look at it and you go, you know what? Everything is simply a line item budget. It doesn't matter. Exactly. You took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say that. We've said it a hundred times. It's a line item. You know, it is a line item and it gives us leverage. And really going back to for just a second to the first point, a, a, a seller who is anxious to sell their property uh, isn't unusual, first of all. And secondly, it shows us that they're motivated. It shows us that they're ready to jump on something. So if we give them a fair offer and we know what we're getting into, a motivated seller is a good thing. Uh, to me, that is like one of the things that we are looking for as motivated sellers. If I've got a seller who just doesn't care one way or the other, um, I have literally seen people list properties just to make their happy, their wife happy. They didn't want to sell the house. They just listed because the wife was like, I really want to move. I really want to move. So they listed it for a price that they knew that they were never going to get an offer on. You know, um, Don't waste your time on those. It's just not worth it. Uh, motivated sellers are great. Line item, everything that you look at, everything that you find that needs to be fixed, it's a line item. Discount your offer to make it work for you uh, and make sure that it works in your budget and, and, and on to the next and on to the next. All these things that this writer is saying are things that any seasoned investor is just going to be like, every time they, they just they're banging a brick up against their head, what was this person thinking? Uh, I almost feel like it's it's in, in our business, in Bill and I's business, we get these things all the time. It's called PLR. And they are pre-written uh, articles and pre-written emails and, and newsletters and things that we can send out. And this almost seems like a PLR piece that somebody who had no idea what they were doing just generated so they could send it out and add it to that big packet that they send out. And that stuff is usually garbage as well. Yep. So uh, the next item is the sales price seems too low or too high for the area. The sales price seems too good to be true. It probably is. 
If the property is underpriced for the area, there's likely something major wrong with it. Uh, there are no incentives to sell property under market value unless there's a big reason behind it. On the other hand, if you're dealing with overpriced properties, you might have a homeowner who has a biased perception of their property. Uh, first of all, all homeowners have biased perception of their property. Uh, to figure out whether a property is under or overpriced, consider hiring a real estate professional to get a hold of the prices of similar homes in the, in the area. In other words, have it comped. Duh. That's one of the most basic things that we do as real estate investors all the time is comp a property. And uh, I'm not concerned about uh, a property that's um, certainly that I think is priced too low. Uh, that may simply be someone who doesn't really understand the market. I'm not concerned about a property that's priced too high because I'm not paying that price. It has no bearing on my offer. My offer is based on what the work that I do that I know will bring the price to the property. I'll give you a great example. We're closing uh, on Thursday uh, on a property that is the single highest priced house sold in the subdivision ever, period, ever in the existence of mid 50 subdivision. And so I had one of my lenders come look at it when we picked the property up and he said, what do you think you're going to sell it for? And I said, I think I'm going to sell it for $290. And he's just like, oh, my gosh, you'll never be able to sell this house for $290. I don't think you can get $275 for it. Well, he was right. We couldn't get $275 for it. And we didn't sell it for $290. We sold it for $310. And not only did we sell it for $310, but it's an FHA loan and it appraised. And so... I'm not worried about what somebody else's opinion of the value of the property is. I know based on the number of deals that I've done that I can establish pricing. And did I look at that house and go, we may have a really tough time getting 310 for this FHA. That may be a tough time, but there's enough money out there. Can we get that from a cash offer? Absolutely not worried about it. List it here and boom. Well, then we were able to get it FHA, which I was very, uh, I was surprised with and obviously very pleased with. But I'm not wasting my time based on somebody else's opinion of the property. Comps are not somebody else's opinion. Comps are fact. They are what they are. That's not an opinion. An appraisal can be an opinion, but comps aren't. And so when I looked at the comps on the property, I knew I could get in the 290 range. And then based on where the market is, I was like, you know what? Let's go in, let's put it at 310. We'll give ourselves some wiggle room. If it works, great. If it doesn't, anything over 290 is bonus money for us anyway. And then sure enough, we got the full price on it and uh, it appraised. So I'm not gonna worry about the price being too high or too low for an area, buying or selling. When I'm selling, I'm always gonna sell at the top of the market. And so if I'm looking at a purchase and I think the property's priced too low, I'm probably gonna walk back through again, make sure I didn't miss anything. And it may simply be that the seller uh, is not educated enough in the industry to understand the value of it. I'm not gonna try to talk them out of it. It's just gonna be, I had a, uh, was with a client last week and we looked at a house and it was an out-of-state owner property and the house was a wreck. 
I mean, it was it was a gut. That's a big, great property, but it's a gut. So he's on the phone with the seller to make an offer, and he starts telling the seller, "Here's everything we're going to do," and, and I'm I'm doing this. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, shut up. And so he finally gets off the phone. He doesn't listen to me at all. He gets off the phone. He goes, what are you over there dancing around like a monkey for? And I'm like, because you're putting money in the seller's pocket every time you say one word, you know, just, I looked at the property. Here's what I'm willing to offer on it and be done there. But no, you built the value of their property up in their mind. And so, of course, what happened? Two days later, he called me back and he said, they, after talking with me, they decided to list it with a real estate agent now because they could get a lot more money. I'm like, well, duh. Yeah, you, you inadvertently really encouraged them to do that. So uh, I'm not concerned about pricing. I learned long ago not to presume or to assume what somebody else is thinking or what their situation is to, to if somebody wants to offer a property for less than what it is, I don't, un I don't have to know their motivations. I don't have to try and say, okay, well, why are they offering this for less? Okay. Is, is there, is there, a, is there a catch? Is there a hook? If everything works like Bill and I keep telling you, if everything is what it's supposed to be, if we understand what we are getting into, we understand the cost of what that is going to be in order to turn around and fulfill whatever strategy it is we have for that particular property. It doesn't matter what might be going on in somebody's head. I'm going to tell you a really quick story before we go into break. Uh, over the weekend, they had a Ferrari event at the Breakers Hotel here. And my first Ferrari I bought when I was in college, actually when I was still early in college, and I went to look at the car just because it was a great looking yellow Ferrari Dino. I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to, to buy it. I, I knew in my head when I went to look at it, I wasn't going to buy it, but I wanted to see it. It was a cool Ferrari I wanted to take a look at. I went, the guy handed me the keys and he said, take it for a drive. And I'm like, okay, why not? I'm not going to buy it. I can't buy your car, but sure. So I got in, I took it for a drive, brought it back. What do you think? I said, it's great. It's an awesome car. Uh, I just... I, I probably can't afford it. I just really, I appreciate you letting me drive it. I appreciate you letting me look at it and showing it to me. So how much do you have? And I told him roughly what I had in the bank uh, and like just my, my regular savings account that I could pull out really quick. And he said, sold. And it was for far less than this car was worth. It was probably less than 25% of what this car was worth. And I'm like, really? And he says, yes. And he said, I go to court tomorrow. I'm getting a divorce. Anything I have, I have to give to or share with my ex-wife. So if I sell you this car today for this amount, then this is in my pocket. If I sell this car tomorrow or the day after, half or all of what the value is of this car is split with my ex-wife or goes to my ex-wife. So we drove to the bank together. And he followed me home in my new yellow Ferrari. I let him drive it one more time. And I gave him a ride back home in his new, his, his old yellow Ferrari. And I drove that Ferrari for a while. Uh, for a college kid, it was awesome. Uh, to be honest, I wish I still had that car, 1969 Canary yeah. Yellow Dino. 
Unfortunately, I'm six foot seven. And every time I had to get in that car, I had to shoehorn myself into it. And I had to shoehorn myself back out of it. Um, but that was my first Ferrari. And I bought it for less than 25% of what the car was worth. Again, not presuming or assuming to understand or know what is in every single person's head or in every single person's heart or what every single person's situation is. Yep. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Make sure that you're buying the gift horse, but don't look it in the mouth and reject it because it seems too good. I hate that. It's too good to be true. It's not. Verify it. If it's true, it's true. There's no too good to be true. If it's true and it's great, so much the better. All right, we've got one more segment on this show and we'll be back. And we are back for our final segment of the Investor Guys yeah. podcast. And I think we're up to like uh, one more point, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and this is really, um, this is a, a very major point that holds a lot of investors back for no reason whatsoever uh, because it's a mental block and it's this. Uh, and it's perpetuated a lot by uh, real estate agents. Bad school district or a bad neighborhood. Look, everybody has to live somewhere. I have um, property. I, I did a property recently that the driveway was all cracked up in it. And um, the lender said, are you, are you going to redo the driveway? And I'm like, no, I'm not. They're like, well, why? And I'm like... I apologize. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to redo the driveway because it's just money out of my pocket for no reason. All the driveways in the area, many of them look like this or are cracked up and, and they're like, yeah, but you know, I don't know that somebody's going to buy it with this. I'm like, well, they are because what I understand is the price of the property relative to the neighborhood. If the property is priced appropriately, even here on the high end for the neighborhood, then it's going to bring what it's going to bring. And if a person is looking at buying in that neighborhood and you're thinking that, oh, this is a bad neighborhood or this is a bad school district, well, the people that can afford to live in that neighborhood are the people that can afford to live in the neighborhood. And that's it. If they could afford to live somewhere else, they would be doing that. So if this is the best that they can afford, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just understand it for what it is. There are homeowners for every neighborhood. And so when you're looking at it, the neighborhood will correspond pricing wise for, from a comp standpoint, It'll correspond with the quality of the schools, the quality of the neighborhood, the quality of the property. All of that will combine for the sales price of the home. And if it's a $100,000 house and people go, oh my God, you can't buy anything for $100,000. Well, you can, but uh, a lot of times people would go, well, I wouldn't live there and not asking you to, but are there people that not only that's what they can afford, but would be excited about being able to get that property. Absolutely, there are. So again, I look at these things. Uh, it's like uh, buying property that's uh, on a busy street. Uh, I used to go round and round with my ex all the time. She'd go, don't buy that house. It's on a busy street. I'm like, that's exactly why I'm buying. 
And she's like, yeah, but nobody wants to live on a busy street. And I said, well, I, I disagree with that because I've sold too many that were on busy streets. But one thing that you get, whether you agree with that or not, one of the things that you get on a busy street is you get significantly more traffic. And you get more traffic, you end up selling a property faster because of the exposure. So you got to understand that uh, everybody wants to live somewhere uh, and not everybody can live uh, under a viaduct or in a tent down the local park, no matter what the Biden administration uh, says. Uh, people want to live for the most part in property. They want to live, whether it's an apartment or whether it's a 6,000 square foot house, doesn't matter. they want to live in a property that they can call their home. And so that's what I'm looking at is how does the pricing reflect the neighborhood? Uh, and is there a lot of property vacant in the neighborhood? Or is it like most neighborhoods, there's just a few property because the demand is so high right now. And again, going back to what I said in the last segment, don't assume you understand what everybody else's mindset is and what everybody right. else's situation is. Uh, oftentimes, properties that are on busier streets actually have a higher value because they're on a busier street. They have more exposure. Uh, a lot of times those properties are more easily converted into commercial properties, which are going to be much more value. Uh, so a lot of times a property on a busy street has more value. So keep that in mind. The other thing is, is I have bought properties in neighborhoods where they said the schools weren't great, but the property was great. The neighborhood was great. And it's because there was lots and lots of people who are retired. The retired people take care of their homes. They don't have any children. The school district isn't great because it doesn't need to be because there aren't that many kids there. Yeah, it sucks for those kids that are there, but they don't have a whole lot of children there. And it's not a great school district because there's just not, that's not an important thing for that particular neighborhood. That's not going to keep a retired couple from buying this house because the school district isn't great because they're not sending their kids to that school district. It's not important to them. Again, don't always assume you know what the situation is. Don't always assume you know what's in somebody else's brain or in their heart based upon what you think and what your opinion is of something. Every single person is unique. It all breaks down to numbers. The numbers work. The numbers don't work. Okay. That is it. In a nutshell, period. Uh, we have bought properties, both of us have bought properties in the hood, okay, properties that a lot of other people would not have even gone to look at, but they were great deals. The numbers work. Somebody bought it before. We're buying it from somebody and somebody's going to buy it from us because there are other people that are still there. Even if I, I've actually had people from the neighborhood buy a property that we had in those neighborhoods because it was a step up for them. Once we had fixed that property up, they were, I had a situation where we had somebody who was renting right around the corner buy the property that we had just fixed up. They wanted to stay in that neighborhood. That was their neighborhood. Okay. They don't want to rent anymore. They wanted to buy a house. They got to stay in their neighborhood. They got to own a house and it was better than the rental that they had and they were happy. Uh, so again, don't always assume we know what's going on in everybody's yep. thought process. Final thoughts before we get out of here. And just uh, know what you're doing. Find somebody like Kevin or myself to help train you for the realities of the business. This is an incredible business to be in. Uh, and you don't have to be fearful. If you have somebody that has the experience that we have to be able to teach you the real business, then your confidence level can go sky high and you can go out and, and participate in 
the what I think is the greatest business out there. We will see all of you back here on Thursday. And we're not sure yet what we're going to do on Thursday, but uh, I'm just going to throw this out for you, Bill. Maybe we should touch base with what we're doing uh, right now. Uh, it's going to be towards the end of the month. So what we're doing so far, first month of 2022. So we'll see you guys on Thursday. Have a great week. Happy investing. See you, everybody. Learn more about the Investor Guys podcast, including upcoming events and appearances at www.investorguyspodcast.com. That's www.investorguyspodcast.com.